Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Life has a lot of obstacles as you move through life, right? A lot of things come our way, and maybe today some of you are facing obstacles. could be anything. could be social, could be financial, relationship. Maybe there's a spiritual obstacle in your life, something you're dealing with. We have these obstacles that sometimes are just really looming. And uh, life is full of those, isn't it? You know, we never get, uh, I, if you're younger and you, if you think that, you know, finally I'll get to a place in life where I'll be free of all obstacles, uh, there are some older people here who'd be glad to talk to you. <laughs> and, uh, uh, because, you know, that's, that's the way life is. That's our human condition. That's where we, we walk with the Lord. Great music today, Mark and Lauren. Thank you for these songs that uh, focus us on, on looking to God looking to God for our assurance, our sustenance, and our hope. And so this morning, as we continue our series on encounters with God, I would like us to open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to look at an encounter that Joshua has with God. But let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time. As, as Gary has prayed, we, we are part of a great company of hosts of brothers and sisters around the world and those who have, who have lived uh, since this church, the body of Christ, began. And we count it a privilege to be a part of this host, to be a part of this, this uh, something so much bigger than us, a privilege to be a part of your ministry and your service to bring honor and glory to you. And so we pray in these next few moments that as we look at your word, we would listen to your word and we would hear your word, but most of all, we would see your face. And we pray this in Christ, our beautiful Savior's name. All God's people can say together, Amen. Joshua chapter 5, the background is the children of Israel have are leaving the wilderness. They have crossed the Jordan River. I know for those of us that have been there, and you look at the Jordan River, it looks like you could probably just walk across it, right? <laughs> but in flood stage... And in certain parts of the Jordan River, uh, you could not just walk across it. And so they had to cross the Jordan River as God uh, held up the water from the north. And they crossed the river just as he parted the Red Sea for Moses. They've come into the land of Canaan, the land that's going to be flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. And uh, they have come with, we don't know exactly how many people, there's, there's different thoughts on how many people. We know that there's close to three-quarter million men listed when they left Egypt, whether that included everybody or just men. There are different opinions on that. But certainly, at this point, this, if that's anywhere near, we're over a million people. Okay? I mean, think of that. Think of the logistics. Think of the How many of you ever led a, a group of 59 people to Israel? <laughs> yeah, oh, I did that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, think of the logistics. Lead camp for 100 and some children. Over a million people. Think of the food, the sanitation, the water. Uh, but fortunately, God has taken care of that. Manna, right? Manna for 40 years. And they, God has protected them. God has cared for them. But everybody who left Egypt has died except Joshua and Caleb. Moses is also gone now. 
Moses has died. And because of their sin, it's only Joshua and Caleb who are going to take these people into the promised land. How would you like, how would you like to follow Moses? How would you like to be the successor to Moses for this, this, these people of Israel? And uh, Joshua has been called to this task. And they have come across, and, and in chapter 5, we read that the, the Amorites, you know, when all the Amorite kings west of Jordan had all the Canaanite kings along the coast, that's from the Jordan River to the coast of the Mediterranean, heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So they are preparing for a battle when the Israelites come, but they are in great fear as they come. And we read in verse 18, uh, verse 10, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. So as you, you come across the Jordan River, you've got, you've got the plains north of the Dead Sea. If you've been there, you look at the map, you'll see the flat plains north of the Dead Sea that then rise up to Judean hills that go to the west where Jerusalem sits and then back down the other side to the Mediterranean coast. They are in the plains of Jordan, in the Jordan Valley, if you will. And as they are there, and it says in verse 11, it was verse 10, they celebrated the Passover. Now that's significant. The 14th day should have told you that. Because the 14th of Nisan in the springtime is Passover. This journey began with Passover, right? When they left Egypt, it began with Passover when they were driven out and they had to leave Egypt that night after the firstborn was slain. The journey now is going to end with Passover and the celebration. And they celebrate the Passover together. And it says the day after Passover, verse 11, that very day they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. So they are at this huge transition point. The wilderness and that 40 years is behind them and all that they learned and went through during that epoch of their history. God has been providing every single day manna. Yes, maybe it got boring, but it was food, right? In the wilderness, 40 years. They have crossed the Jordan River. The wilderness is behind them. The manna is over. And they now are faced with survival in the land of Canaan. They are a traveling people. They are traveling people. They are not farmers yet. They have not settled down. But they have come in the land and they have picked the grain and they have made unleavened bread and they have eaten from what is around them. But from here on out, they will have to have food from the land. They will have to face enemies. They are not particularly a militant people. They are a people. The men have been conscripted into military service that need to be, but they are not professional soldiers. They are not serving. Uh, they, they serve when they have to, but otherwise they are fathers and husbands and grandfathers and sons. And they are facing this land of all these city-states with walled cities. They have no siege equipment. They have no battering rams. They have not come prepared to knock down any walls. 
and they are facing these obstacles, and right in front of them is Jericho. Jericho, that walled city. And you see here in verse 13, on that eve of that battle, I believe, it doesn't give us the details, but it says this. Now, when Joshua, incidentally, the name Joshua, in Hebrew the J is the Y sound, Yeshua, which of course is the same name of Jesus. Jesus and Joshua are the same name if you take Hebrew into Greek and into English. Joshua looked up. He was near Jericho. He's looking at this obstacle. He's looking at those walls. And he looked up. And he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Joshua looks up. And it's almost like this man appeared. It's almost like this... He was there to look at the city. He's, he is the, he is going to lead these people. God has not told him yet what's going to happen. He's looking at that walled city of Jericho and contemplating how do we get through beyond past? What do we do with the city of Jericho? And all of a sudden, here is this man standing here with his sword in his hand. And I'm sure he saw something unique about this man. He's some kind of commander. There's something about him that Joshua looks at him and says, are you for us or are you for them? Are you on our side or are you on their side? Are you there between us and Jericho or are you here on our side? And this man replied in the Hebrew, it's, a, it's, it's, it's one syllable, lo. If you go to Israel and you want to, you want to say no, just say lo. It means no. Okay. Uh, my translation here says neither. That's probably not the best translation. Just say what it says. No. No. Uh, no. And then he, and he answers him. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. You see, this, this, this soldier, this person with the, with the drawn sword out of its sheath holding him for battle, that maybe took Joshua by surprise. There is no our side. There is only God, there's only God's side. You're either on God's side or you're not. And I think that's why he said no. He could have been saying no to the question, are you for us or for them? And the no might have been, no, I'm not for them. Or it might have been, as the NIV is trying to communicate here, no, neither, no, nada, okay? I am here as the commander of the host of Yahweh, the host of Yahweh. And when he said that, notice what Joshua does. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. This this was not just a man. This was some angelic being. But when he says he falls down in reverence, it's not necessarily that right now he knows it's God. He just falls down out of respect because this this is something this is someone that certainly is superior to him. He is the commander of the hosts of Yahweh. Yahweh, who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. God, who has been their presence all the way across these 40 years. Uh, and the cloud, the cloud and the fire, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. The presence of God that we've talked about that Moses saw. And we looked at last week when Moses was put in the cleft of the rock. He's the commander of the angelic hosts of Yahweh. And he falls down 
face down in the ground in reverence, and with his face in the ground, he says, what message does my Lord, and you notice it's small, L-O-R-D, in the small, in the small lowercase, which means master. Earlier it says, he said, I'm commander of capital L-O-R-D, which is Yahweh. Anytime you see it in your Bible, that's Yahweh, that's Jehovah. Here he says, master, he says, what, what do you, what do you want me to do? What is the message? What is the message that you have or that the Lord has for his servant? Now here's the message. The message is simply this. The commander of the host of Yahweh says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now we are talking about encounters with God. And you don't have to know too much of Bible history. And you certainly know Joshua knows this story that when the, when this angelic being says, take off your shoes, you are standing on holy ground. What would that take you back to? Huh? To Moses. When Moses, the Exodus, is there at the burning bush. And he goes over, he says, this is, this bush is burning, but it's not burning up. What's wrong with this? And that 80 year old shepherd, goes over to this burning bush that's, that's burning, but it's not burning. And, and, and God appears to him and says, Moses, take off your shoes. You are standing on holy ground. Why are you standing on holy ground? Because I am here. You are standing in my presence. And I can't possibly think this would have been lost on Joshua or anybody who read this in Jewish history afterward when this account was written down that this is not just an angel. You are standing in the presence of God. You are standing on holy ground. Be careful. Take your shoes off. Show respect. You are in God's presence. And the reason I think we can say that for sure is chapter 6, verse 1, is sort of an interlude. Put a parenthesis around it. Put a parenthesis. Now Jericho was tightly shut up Because of the Israelites, no one went in and nobody went out. That's an interlude because the next verse says, Then the Lord said to Joshua. Now there's no chapter break in the Hebrew Bible in the original writing of Joshua. This is the context. The context is the angel says, Take off your shoes. You are standing on holy ground. And Joshua did so. And then the Lord begins to speak to him. The interlude is to remind us the context. Jericho, and, and it's, 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 a, it's a strong statement here, that, that this city, this, this city is shut tight and shut up. No one is coming and nobody is going. They are ready for a siege. The gates are closed. They got food and water inside and uh, you are not coming in here. And then the Lord spoke to Joshua. The Lord of hosts. Psalm 103, 19-21 speaks of this. Israel too is Lord's army, we read in the Old Testament. But Joshua now is standing on holy ground. He is standing in the same place that Moses stood, in the presence of God. See, Joshua has received his commission. 
God told Moses, you commissioned Joshua. He is the one who's going to take your place and take these people into this land. And he's going to go without you, Moses. But now Joshua receives the presence of God as assurance of what is... I mean, this is an ominous, ominous task before them. To go into this land of the... These, some of these Canaanites were fierce people. This is the Middle East. This is a tough neighborhood. And they got to take these people and somehow settle this land and claim it for themselves because God says, this is your land. I'm giving this land to you. He promised it to Abraham when Abraham lived there. Although Abraham never owned any of it except the tomb, today called the Tomb of the Patriarchs. That's the only piece of land he bought. He was a pilgrim in the land. But it was promised to his descendants. And now Joshua has to take these people. But the, the Hebrew says, Jericho had shut and was shut. And God begins to speak to Joshua. And you know, we we could spend, of course, a lot of time, but you know, you know the story. There's a song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, right? You could probably sing that, right? But I'm not so sure Joshua actually fought this battle. As the battle plan unfolds, it's not really a military plan. It's a religious plan. Plan. It's a religious ceremony. It's not a military plan. Look what it says here. God says to Joshua, verse 2, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. It's a done deal. The language here in the Hebrew basically says this is a done deal. It's done. I've already done this. It's already been this obstacle that's looming in front of you between you and the promised land. I've already done this. Is delivered into your hands. And then he gives the instructions. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven. You'll notice the seven keeps showing up. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn. The shofar. Should have somebody bring. Some of you have a shofar horn. I know you brought home from Israel. Should have you bring that and blow that today. Bring those shofar horns in front of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the central feature in this battle. The Ark of the Covenant that they carry around the city, that's the central feature because it represents God's very presence with them. It says, march, march around that. And on the seventh day, notice the seven. On the seventh day, verse, middle of verse four there. March around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast, they're supposed to talk, no, no, just quietly. You just march. Don't talk. Don't say anything. Just march. No jeering. No taunting. No in-your-face stuff. This is not. Nah, I'm not going there. But anyway, I was going to say this is not NBA basketball, but I'm not going to say that. This is, you know, this, this, this is. Just be quiet. This is not your battle. This is mine. Just march around it, one time, each day. And on the seventh day, seven times. Go around that seven times. And then he says, we'll blow those trumpets. And in verse 5, the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And then he gives them to carry out this plan. And they do it. And this is an unorthodox battle plan. Now remember, these people are afraid. These people aren't making fun of them either. No one's standing on the walls of Jericho laughing at these people. The reason the city is shut up because they have heard about what Yahweh did over there at the Jordan River. And they are frightened. 
And now they watch that ark go around each day and go home. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, until the seventh day, the ark goes around seven times, and the shofar horns blast, and the walls fall flat. And the battle is over. Encounters with God. Incidentally, that city was cursed. And they were, no one was to rebuild or live there to, to rebuild it. People actually did inhabit it. They actually did inhabit it. But you will notice if you take time to read 1 Kings 16.34 that the curse about anybody who tries to rebuild Jericho did take place. So when you go there today, and remember when we were on our bus, you drive by if you've been to Israel, and they say, look over there, there's Jericho. And you just, it's a, it's a mound of dirt. <laughs> there is no city of Jericho. There's a small village there today a touristy type place, but over there in the distance, we think that's where Jericho was, um, the city of Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, but God fought the battle of Jericho. The soldiers went in and they destroyed everything except Rahab the harlot and her family. An amazing story of God's grace. Encounters with God. This is a little bit different encounter. This encounter with God was not the cleft of the rock with the power of God going by. This was not Jacob wrestling, right? We looked at that. Wrestling with, with, with the angel of God. This is simply almost a quiet encounter between God and Joshua with this visual image with the sword raised up and, and Joshua daring to ask this angelic being, are you with us or with them? Who are you? Just like Jacob, he asked in his own way, who, who are you? Lo, no, no. I am the angel of the hosts of God. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And then God speaks to Joshua. You know, we, we sometimes take this for granted. We read this in the Bible. I mean, I've grown up with the Bible. I'm so used to it. I read it. And the Lord said, the Lord spoke in a voice to Joshua. The Lord spoke. You know, you don't see that with King David. God speaks through a prophet. God doesn't always do that. That's not an everyday occurrence in the Old Testament. But God started talking to Joshua. Like he talked to Moses, who knew God face to face like a friend. And he spoke to Joshua. And he encountered Joshua. He said, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. And you know what? He did it. You know, there are other people in the Bible we encounter who might have said, right, <laughs> you know, sure. That is not a good plan. You find someone else. You find someone else to do this. Joshua said, okay, we're going to do this. And they went out there and they did it. And God fought the battle of Jericho. And the reason I thought of this account of an encounter with God, it's not quite so dramatic. It is in its own way. I think the dramatic part is when the voice starts coming. I don't... I'm, I'm assuming from the context 
I'm assuming from the context, the voice is from the angel, who we realize is the presence of God. God shows up in the Old Testament in this human form. And on Christian theology, you will find oftentimes it taught that, that this is the second person in Trinity who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son. This is pretty common in Christian theology. I'm not going to be dogmatic because you can't be dogmatic, but there certainly appears that this certain angel keeps showing up in the Old Testament, like when they showed up with Abraham with the three servants, and then all of a sudden it's God who's standing there talking to him. So the voice of this angel may be the voice of God, and Joshua is in the presence of God. Maybe Joshua has still got his face in the ground while the angel is talking to him. I mean, if it's the voice of God, you might want to keep your face in the ground if God is talking to you. But he does it. Let me ask you. I asked you earlier, what, what is the Jericho in your life right now? What's the Jericho in your life right now? What is out there that is something new for you? Something new in your experience, in your human condition. What, what is out there? We read earlier today, from, from Philippians chapter 4. I'd like to go there for a moment. You know, it's interesting. As pastor, I have a lot of occasion to visit with people in very difficult situations. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the difficulty is, you know, very serious, like the loss of a, of a loved one, maybe a sudden loss of a loved one. We've, we've been through this, several of us, right? This past year, we've done this together. Other times, it's been a process. And it's been a very difficult situation. Some of you have faced very, very challenging surgeries in, in, in these, last, these last years. On a little bit lighter note, I told my wife today, I told my wife today, this, this trip to Minneapolis, because it's a snowstorm, maybe six to ten inches looming, you know, kind of weather that it says, if you're out there for five minutes, you might be frostbitten uh, if, it out, if your skin's exposed. And uh, I've lived in Minneapolis, so I know what they're talking about. And I'm hoping my plane lands. I said, I'm going to approach this like an adventure. And I said, you know what I remember is uh, my friend Ray Powell there. He won't even remember this probably. But Ray Powell had back surgery years ago. And I was there visiting with Vela. We went in and prayed with Ray. And afterward, we were done. I went back out and we talked. And as I was leaving the hospital, here they come, here they come with Ray on the cart, wheeling you down to surgery. And Ray looks at me and goes, this is going to be a new experience. I've never had this before. <laughs> All right, only Ray Powell. <laughs> yeah, only Ray Powell, okay? I'm not talking about that kind of obstacle, maybe. I don't know. But, you know, th- this is, we go through obstacles in life. And how do we approach it? I mean, you know what? I find myself, I find myself probably reading with you, more than any other passage, Philippians chapter 4. And I I don't ever want it to sound trite or rhetorical or like, well, yeah, of course that's what a pastor reads to you when you're in need, right? Because, you know, as as we go through these experiences in life, sometimes very serious ones, and what scriptures really come to our heart I haven't, I've never yet read this with somebody and someone say, oh, sure, pastor, I get it. You know, you have to read that. No. Whenever you read this passage, you know, generally I find if the person knows it, they say it with me. 
and they appreciate it. Because this passage goes right smack to the heart of who our God is and what He does for us. And we read it earlier. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord, always. We're going to study Philippians together when we're done with this series on encounters with God. I'll say it again. I want to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. And you say, okay, we read Philippians. It's full of joy. It's full of peace and love. You know, and just like, well, these people, wait a minute. Chapter one, Paul tells, Paul tells these people in chapter one and in verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. These people are already being opposed. They are being persecuted. Paul is in prison. He's the ringleader of this new sect from the Romans' perspective. So what's going to follow with the rest of them? This is an important Roman city. This is Philippi, the most important Roman city in the whole region. Outside of Rome. Between Rome and Jerusalem, this is the most important Roman colony. And they are being persecuted. They are going to face persecution you and I, I have not faced persecution. Maybe some of you have. I, I've grown up in this country. I have not faced physical persecution for my faith. I have never been slapped. I've never been hit. I've never been in jail. I've never come to church here and wondered why I'm done preaching today. Am I going to end up in jail like brothers and sisters around the world today will? This is Philippi. They have much to be anxious about. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, ask God, ask Him with thanksgiving. What? Present your requests to God. Talk to God. We're talking about encounters with God. Have we encountered God? Have we ever talked to God? Like Moses and Joshua and Abraham. You don't have to hear the voice of God audibly with decibels. But can we not hear God's voice? Isn't that the whole point of God's word? It's a word. W-O-R-D. It's a word. You hear words. Talk to God. Paul says, Philippians, listen, I know what's coming. I know what you're facing. But don't be anxious. Talk to God about it. Make your request, petition, beg, ask, talk to Him. Have that conversation with God. And notice the end result. The peace of God. Notice what He doesn't say. And your troubles will all go away. But the peace of God, the peace of God, I learned it in the King James, which passeth all understanding. NIV here, which transcends all understanding. Well, what? It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This was a Roman colonial capital with a serious, significant Roman military base. And there were Roman guards all over the place. And they knew what it meant. And Paul says, the peace of God will protect and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen?
the peace of God. Have that conversation. Encounter God. What are you facing? Right now. What are you facing? And you're wondering, how is it going to be removed? Who's going to take those walls down? Am I supposed to just go around it? Do I go through it? What do I do? How is it, how is it going to happen? Now, you know, the fact, of, the fact of the matter is, the older we get, the more we realize, looking back over our lives, the vast majority of things that we really worried about, what? It never happened. It never happened. I look at my life. I spent a lot of time anxiously worrying over lots of things. They didn't happen. And you know what? The things that did happen, guess what? You made it. I'm still here. And if I wasn't here, that was in God's hands too because I'll be with Him there, right? I'll still be there. What is it we're facing right now? What do we want to do? Friends, talk to God. God wants to talk with us. Paul talks about prayer so much. Pray without ceasing. Pray, ask, inquire, petition, ask God. Receive His help and His peace. And you know what? Do what He says. Do what He says. That Joshua did what He said. When you're facing an obstacle in your life right now, what is it? Is it, is it somebody at work? Is it a financial tough time? What is it? Is it a relationship? Is it physical? What is it? Well, do what God tells you to do. If it has to do with, with, with people, be honest. Do what's right. Pray for those who persecute you. Admit any faults. Forgive. Do what He tells us to do. If it's a physical, God leads you to, to doctors and physicians and you feel they're the ones you Do what He tells you to do. Listen to them if He's using them. If it's counsel you need and God directs you to somebody, listen to them. Joshua listened. He communicated. He, God talked to him and He did it. And the walls came what? Tumbling down. But guess what? That's not the way it always happened. And that's not the way it's always going to happen. The walls aren't always going to tumble down. And I know that because let me conclude with this. Joshua chapter 15. Look at Joshua chapter 15. The walls didn't always tumble down. And in Joshua chapter 15, when we get this survey of the allotment to the land. They've conquered the land. Now it's divided up. And the tribes go to their locations. And at the very end, in Joshua chapter 15, as we come to the end of the story, for Judah, look what it says here in verse 63. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. Joshua, if he's the author of Joshua, we ascribe it to him. Whoever's reading this book, after it's been written, 
and retold, it says this, to this day, the Jebusites live there within the people of Judah. The walls of Jerusalem did not come tumbling down. The Jebusites, Canaanite enemies, were not removed. They were there right in the middle of Judah until this book was finished and read and the author reminds them, by the way, that city never came down. Why? Why? Jericho came down. Ai comes down. The rest of the cities come down. Why? Because God had another plan for Jerusalem. God had another plan for Jerusalem. They didn't know it. They couldn't have possibly understood it. But David is going to need a city. He's going to need a neutral city. He's going to need a highly defensible city with some walls around it. He's going to need a capital. And guess what God gives him? Yerushalayim. City of gold. God had another plan. So friends... We can't assume the walls are always going to come crumbling down. But we can't assume this. I don't know who holds tomorrow. I know who holds tomorrow. I know he what? He holds our hand. That's all that matters. So let's have those conversations with God. Let's do what God tells us to do. And let's allow him to be God and to do what he's going to do and allow us to give Him glory and thanks and thanks and thanks that He's willing to give us the most important thing, that peace. I'll tell you, I hear it over and over and over again. And I, as a pastor, I'm I'm just... it, It never ceases to amaze me. When people are in the most difficult situations that you can imagine. And they always, and they say this, I can feel God's peace. How do you feel God's peace? Huh? How do you feel it? And I say, you know what? We're, we're praying for you. And you know what they say? I can feel those prayers. How do you feel prayers? You don't get to try it out ahead of time. You don't get to try it out ahead of time. But when those walls are there, take off your shoes. Stand on holy ground. Have that conversation with God. And do what He tells you to do. And you will feel His presence. You will feel His presence. And you will know that you are surrounded by the peace of God that passes all understanding that will post sentry over your hearts and your minds. Amen. Thank you, Mark and Lauren. So for our benediction today, let me read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Then he concludes by saying this, 
For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as Savior, I've been preaching about the experience we have as believers, but I just don't want anybody to leave here today without knowing how much God loves you. He loves you so much. His Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross, paid for your sins, offered you forgiveness and eternal life if you would simply receive His payment for your sins. Yes, that is all you have to do. It cost Him, well, dearly is not even close. But He did it because He loves you. Receive Christ and receive forgiveness for sins. Father, we thank You for this day. We leave this place once again rejoicing in the hope of the resurrection, eternal life, salvation, protection, and the peace of God that passes all understanding. In Christ's beautiful, precious name, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Yeshua, we pray. Amen.